head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 274 as I look at my notes of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. The Pod God bringing you an early morning edition of the Severe May podcast here on Sunday, the, what what day have we grabbed? The 9th of August, is that right? Yeah, 9th of August. God almighty. The, the year's pushing on, isn't it? It's, like, the year's gone off as slow, flies, but it's yeah. gone fast at the same time. You know, it's one of those things. It's it's weird. Time makes no sense anymore, but sure, look at it. <laughs> any crack with you any, anyway this week? Any, any news, anything good, big, or exciting happened to you? Uh, not particularly, no, no. Connor got engaged, didn't he? How, how are you? How are you celebrating that above in Dublin? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, haven't uh, haven't really seen much reaction to it. Oh yeah. Do you, uh, you get him a gift? Do you bring it over to the house? Drop it down now. No, no. No. Too poor for that. Too, <laughs> Too poor. Poor, poor, poor. And John Kevin had a baby as well, and, and uh, uh, Orla's his fiance's name, I think. Yeah. Isn't it? So fair play to him. Congratulations. Yeah. Big, big week for SBG and outside of the cage, I suppose. So fair play to him. God bless everyone above in. Uh, Above in Dublin and that way, and, ho- and everyone in Ficken Kildare as well. Hopefully, they're all all right and everyone's going well, so we'll, we'll all get through it. But sure, look at Graham. Anyway, any crack? You must, you, you must have been bored this week with Liverpool being out of all competitions. Man United's still in there. Still, yes. Still keeping going. So. Yeah. Like watching the, the Champions League isn't as exciting or isn't as. Yeah, it's I don't know. When your team's in it, even if even if your team's not playing, mm-hmm. just to see what teams might get through to play, then it just takes away the. Bit of the excitement, yeah. It's definitely uh, disappointing not to be, not to be in the the best tournament there is. Yeah, well, let's be honest. Yeah, the Europa League pretty good as well. I love love a bit of Europa League. It's a it's a fun <laughs> night. It's a fun, pure fun tournament. Like you know, it's one of those. Yeah, the uh, trade trophy is another one. Well. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I just see a question coming in here from Sean Dean. I I actually forgot to write down this topic. I was going to talk about it later on, but let's start it like this. Um, he said butterfly effect. What happens? Uh, Oh no! What happens to Weidman if Chael escapes Anderson's triangle? Okay, this Anderson versus Chael Sonnen fight, right? It happened ten years ago today, the first fight. And forget the Weidman bit for a second, but like thinking back on that fight, that that was a very pivotal fight for MMA. I think, like I, I, I don't think Chael Sonnen's given enough credit for the way he kind of changed the game. Not in a good way a lot of the time, but you know, I don't think without Chael Sonnen. Conor McGregor would have been as big as what he was because I think Chael kind of opened the game up at, at this period for like the, the whole trash talking and being like really extravagant about the trash talking and then McGregor brought it to a level where it was um, where it was more genuine and more real than Chael had it but I think Chael kind of opened people up for that but also that fight itself like that was one of those fights where there was huge animosity coming into it and obviously the animosity after it kind of made the animosity coming into it feel even even bigger because of the second fight and everything like that and 
like I, I did it on the rewatch there a couple of weeks ago, the fight itself, and it was a you know it was a, an underrated fight in terms of what happened before the end, but in the end it was like one of the greatest comebacks in the history of fucking sports. Like it was just unbelievable. It was like it was the fight I used to always show my friends that and they go, oh, this is boring. There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. Boom, you know, anything can happen at any time in any fight, even if someone's getting destroyed. Yeah. And uh, what, what are your I, like for I don't know maybe yeah, it's just me too me. I think it, yeah. I think it was important as well though to to before like when I show my friends I showed them like you know a couple of other fights with Anderson just to show how how good he is yeah. before they see him four rounds on his back kind of thing because uh, if you're just watching it not knowing who the two guys are maybe it would be boring but with all the context of it and the trash talk and the bad blood so I think it was like I remember I did the same thing showing people like I can't remember but like I think it was like a Nick the Face even video or something it was mm-hmm. some promo that a fan had made anyway and it was I remember showing people that and showing previous Anderson fights and stuff like that just to kind of you know add context to, to the obviously brilliant comeback in the fifth round but I uh, as the the question said about the Chael's on and if he had escaped that triangle knowing Chael's history and title fights he probably would have managed to lose in the, the last minute if he, even if he had gotten out of that uh, triangle joke and even if he didn't he failed the drugs test anyway so the title would have been uh, the title would have been taken away from him uh, either way basically clean <laughs> basically clean yeah what was it 18, 18 to 1 or something yeah, his uh, testosterone ratio was something crazy and then he goes test me again my testosterone should have been higher than that <laughs> So Ch- yeah, Chael was like the original Luke Thomas as well. <laughs> he just didn't give a fuck about Usana and all that. But uh, yeah, like I, it was like I think Chael Sonnen versus Anderson Silva was like the um, oh, what's the word called the rivalry of our generation, kind of you know, or maybe the generation before the the Conor McGregor generation. It really was like it was. It was the one people the fight. How many years was it between those two fights? Maybe four years or so. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not, I haven't looked at the dates, but like that rivalry kept going on and on and on. And you know, the Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck, and with one of the all-time promos in the cage afterwards. Like it feels like that rivalry just kept going for a long, long time. And uh, you know, there was the kind of the the story behind Chael Sonnen as well and him you know telling his father on his deathbed that he's going to win a title and he fell fell short in the uh, what was it the last round or the second last round yeah. of the first time and yeah it's it was just it had everything really that kind of storyline and uh, and then it ended the way it ended with the, the goat as people called him at the time which we kind of quickly forget as well when <laughs> calling people the goat for like five years and then like oh no he's not even there anymore but yeah it was uh it, for, for me, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. I was like, uh, covering it even the, towards the end of it, I suppose, and, and watching it at the start as a fan. But um, yeah, I, I had to mention that fight. Ten years. It doesn't feel like ten years, does it? Yeah. No, it doesn't. But, but also, bringing Weibman back into it, like talking about Anderson Silva, like kind of not being considered one of the best of all time or anything, or like people forget so quickly after they see they see a fight on too long. But for Weidman, you know, even though he won this fight, he looked he looked awful. I thought, yeah. like I picked him to win the fight and he won the fight, but he just he did look look the, the ghost of Chris Weidman, as we always call the the ghost of Anderson Silva. He's mm-hmm. just. He's just finished at the top level. He's just not the like that fighter that went in against Mark Munoz and went in against Anderson. Like he went in against Mark Munoz and, and just absolutely bulldozed him yeah. and didn't get a strike down against him, dominated him. And you know that was Mark Munoz's strong point wrestling, like his basically his 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 only his only <laughs> strong point um, in MMA. Uh, and that guy that guy that did that to, to Munoz and did what he did to Anderson Silva twice. Um, like no matter what the circumstances, he still like won those two fights mm-hmm. by finish. Um, that that guy is gone forever. Yeah, 
And I saw someone saying, like, I think it was Dan Hardy said last night, who thinks Weidman can turn this around. Like, no one in the history of of sports maybe has turned it around. Like, can you remember anyone? Like, I remember, do you know the one example we always kind of think of when we think of someone like this for maybe me and you is Fernando Torres, you know. He was a great striker and he just fell off a fucking cliff. Like David De Gea even at the moment, like. You're, they're very well, maybe, yeah. yeah really good but they just can't turn around when that just happens I, I don't know is it confidence and motivation or like that that kind of the, the killer instinct or like, like McGregor when he lost to Diaz the first time everyone was saying that it was the invincibility that made him great but then he came and he immediately got it back again I mean maybe you can do that and get, immediately get it back but when you're Chris Weidman and have lost what five year last seven or whatever it is that's it's tough to get that back isn't it it's not even that if he was going up against these these guys and and looking good and just losing close decisions or making a stupid mistake and losing, but he yeah. just looks slow and sloppy and his, his cardio isn't there, his confidence isn't there, the popping his punches isn't there. Just it's just not it's not the guy who the exciting guy who came through and you know I picked to beat Anderson Silva the, the first time when Anderson Silva was one of my favorite fighters. You know that was that was how good Weidman was looking. Um, <sighs> But now that guy is just, uh, he's just, its it doesn't look like the same fighter. He just looks like a decent guy who has no cardio. Yeah. Like, the, the weird thing about this was, watching this fight, you're what, you know, when an ex-champion from only a few years ago fights, you're, you know, you kind of watch the fight from their point of view. And, you know, when it's a guy against Omari Akhmedov, no disrespect to Omari Akhmedov, but, like, he's... You know, uh, compared to Chris Whiteman, he doesn't have the big name or or anything like that. But you're watching, and it quickly kind of turns to like uh, Akhmedov has thrown away this fight, you know, because he rocked Chris Whiteman. I think it was in the uh, first round, and then like he immediately went for a takedown. I'm like, why are you doing this? This guy is obviously extremely chinny. You you've already hurt him, and then you're going for a takedown and probably you know losing the round because of that. He went for a takedown and in the second landed on top and landed some ground upon. Like Weidman before, as you said, you know, you mentioned about the wrestling against Mark Munoz, who was a really good wrestler at the time and all, and just dominating all areas. But like Weidman's, he got on the bottom of Makhmadov and he looked like he wouldn't get up for a long period of time. It was just really bad. But in, I think in the third Weidman show, but even even when he was yeah. getting even when he was getting up off the ground, it was like in slow motion. It was like. Akhmadov just like didn't I don't know what his what his thinking was of letting Weidman up because Weidman was he was in a bad way and like you know obviously he ended up on my scorecard he ended up dominating the third round and winning a 10-8 yeah. but uh, like uh, it, if they if he hadn't if Ak- hadn't conceded that take down I think Weidman was there for the taking and it could have been a 10-8 the other way or it could have been a finish but he just um, maybe he had too much respect for the name of Chris Weidman or the the the, the previous like history of grappling by Weidman, but it didn't look to be there at all in this fight. He looked lethargic, slow, unfit, and just a shadow of his former self. And it's easy to like look back and point out that Luke Rockall fight. Or, like it's it's really hard to know how much that took out of him. But it does seem like the the point where it all just went extremely quickly downhill for for Weidman. Yeah, it's interesting because that was the next question I was going to kind of ask you and bring that up. Like what what happened to Weidman? Like. Uh, there's a couple of different things, which uh, you know, three or four different things. Well, which I've, seen, I've seen people, I've seen people over the years talk about Usada, and yeah. like I'm, I'm not saying to myself, I don't have any inside information or anything like that, but mm-hmm. you know, um, never failed the test. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, like, but yeah, I've seen people mention that, but I, I think the Luke Rockhold beating. Uh, yeah. 
it's someone someone asked like, this and before. also when you're when you're up and coming and you're like everything's ahead of you and yeah. you think oh i could be ufc champion and make all this money and then you get there and maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be or even if it is you've been there done that you, and now you're a bit older and you have other probably like you know he's he's like is he the account owner in one of the gyms now yeah, he is. I think yeah. Is it Weidman Longo or Longo Weidman or whatever? Yeah, Longo. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think he yeah, they have an, they have a I think they have yeah, a, a break off anyway. Or but uh, yeah. he, has, he has distractions. Mm-hmm, he does. Do you, do you think as well? Like I, I always someone asked this question a long time ago. One of during one of Weidman's last few fights, and like you know, people are going to point to you sad obviously because it, it was around then, and you know Weidman turned around and his career has kind of gone downhill since that. But like. Oh, that's looking for an answer, right? We already have an answer to what happened to him, and it's fucking Herb Dean, you know? It's and not the pile on Herb Dean. I actually thought Herb did a great job in a few... Well, he made one fuck up, all right. But he did a great job in a few fights, stopped, uh, stopped a few fights very well last night. So I'm not piling on totally on Herb Dean. But, like, I think Herb Dean himself maybe will probably acknowledge that the Weidman-Rockhall fight was probably one of his worst mistakes. I watched it, funny enough, I watched it yesterday, uh, and he took four minutes of unwarranted damage you know he just took blow after but he must have taken a hundred blows to the head that were unneeded unwarranted after the fight's already been over and that, that's after the fight's already been over you know that's hard you know we talked about pettis against rda and i think pettis maybe is kind of coming around now although pettis is a different sort of fighter i think uh than weidman um and like weidman when he got to the title right I, I wrote an article at the time saying it was too soon for Weidman and then he went out and he knocked out Anderson Silva and obviously the broken leg in the second one and I think a little bit like Man United getting the top four this year it kind of papered over the cracks a bit you know I think Weidman had little bits of flaws and stuff and I think in the fights after that they were badly shown up um, and he didn't get kind of time to improve as you said you know he got to the top of the mountain and he goes oh well I'm at the top now and you know when you're getting to the top it's obviously a lot easier to improve or to get motivated to get better um, but then when you get there you and even, even when he did get to the top everybody was like ah oh, that was a fluke Anderson was messing around and ah oh, the second time ah oh, that was a fluke yeah. you know it was a, he didn't really get the credit he deserved and he probably never will because he's never gonna He's never gonna get back there. There's no, just there's no hope. Like uh, Dan Hardy, just uh, if anybody thinks it's uh, Weidman's getting back, I think that's purely an emotional attachment of some kind. Because looking at the evidence of his last what six, seven fights, it's, it's a pretty big sample size, and the, that guy, that guy kind of blown through the division. You know, he, he's just never coming back. There's no way. It's weird as well because we'll move off Weidman in a second. But <clears throat> when you look at someone like Weidman, right, he's uh, a really, I think he was an all American wrestler, like a really yeah, good wrestler. He just, won, he just won this fight, like you know, he just won this yeah, fight. He like, and he won a 10 and around as well. Yeah, well, like, and he, yeah, exactly. But the way we're talking, it's where he was, he was KO'd in the first round or something. But yeah. it's just the the high, kind of lofty uh, bar he set for himself and the the what what crazy what you what it could have been, you know, compared to what it is now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be like it's, uh, it'd it's be just, like uh, you know, it'd be like watching Alexander Volkanovsky coming out and fighting like the number fifteen guy in the world of featherweight, and just like almost barely winning a decision. You know, it's it's one. It just it, this guy was one of the best in the world at one time. Like it, you have to look at him through that lens. But like looking at Weidman, like I I always think about Weidman and see him kind of get knocked out and looking chinny and think maybe he needs to go to like a purely wrestling like turn into fucking Habib like just go and maybe not maybe Habib's not a good example because he takes a few shots but you know what I mean go pure wrestling like uh, Hazmat just wrestle from the very start don't take a shot 
But Wyman tries to do that. Yeah, he tries to do that and he can't do it. I don't think he's wrestling as good enough, to be honest, or good enough for MMA anyway. I'm sure he's wrestling for wrestling is really good, but Weidman is when I talked about the flaws earlier on I think Weidman's flaws were always that he took a couple of shots to get inside and to land his big damage and it was confidence and it was the confidence to take those shots and come inside and land his own shots that made him like really really good but that's not going to last forever we saw with Benil Dariush last night I think he's someone who's kind of improved that and changed that and become better because of it and Weidman has never been able to do that I don't think and he's trying to do he tried to fight a bit like Weidman or uh, Wonderboy last night at the very start and kind of gave it up quickly I think but he got yeah. very tired very quickly <laughs> doing that I think as well yeah he did but look we'll we'll see what's now I, I think Darren Till him for, I, like people are going out to me oh don't put him in against Darren Till he'll get knocked out and all but like Darren Till has, in the past has shown that he can get taken down and wrestled and he's shown that he doesn't throw that many shots either you know, he kind of tries to pick his shots. I think that's a good matchup, honestly, for Chris Wyman, because I think Wyman's a lot bigger than him as well and stronger than him. And if he can get inside, I think he's someone he can take down. Like, that's, I think, a high-level f- name that Wyman can actually beat. Now, he might take one shot and get knocked out as well, but I think both of those outcomes are as likely as the other, even though Wyman is not as good as he used to be. But what do you think about that fight? Mm. No, I think you're giving you're giving Wyman too much uh, chance in that fight. Obviously, he's got a chance, but... Uh... Just uh, on the last few fights, even though he won yesterday, he just he just looked awful. Um, as you said, he, he tried to implement a game plan and he couldn't. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, even though he won the last round ten eight, that was on a knife edge which way that round was going to go uh, when it started, and he just happened to kind of get the top in a position, and both were exhausted. But if it had landed the other way, from what we've seen in the second round from Wyman, how slow he was to get up and move on the ground and how easy he was to take down, I, I think it could have been a 10-8 the other way. So, yeah, I, I think Darren Till would, would, at this stage of the game would blown, blown out of the water yeah. early. He's, he's, he looks very chinny to me, Wyman. Yeah, uh, he might do. Right, before we move on, I must mention the, the Fantasy League is starting this week. So if you're signed up on Patreon, uh, the email will be in the, in the bio of the Patreon post here. Uh, so uh, if you're already signed up to Patreon, send an email to Ian. He'll send it on to Thomas, and then you get like the email every week. And all you have to do is send in your picks. I think it's five picks for uh, pay per views, the main card, and then two picks for all the other fights uh, throughout the year. And we'll have a winner. I believe it's in February. I'll have a post up uh, with Ian and Thomas on Patreon on either Monday or Tuesday this week, and then we'll have another one later in the week where we're going to have. It's going to be. You, you'll have to do this now, Graham. Just <laughs> severemed.com forward slash fantasy. And uh, if you're signed up for Patreon, you'll be able to look. And we're going to keep that going throughout the whole year, kind of a tread there, and have a bit of banter and a bit of back and forth. So if you're not signed up for Patreon, you can sign up patreon.com forward slash severemedpodcast. You won't be behind in the league or anything. Anytime you sign up, actually, because we have a way around that. Uh, but if you sign up right now, the, the Fantasy League is starting this, uh, this week. We already have, I think it's 30 or 40 names signed up. So we'd love to get you know get up to 100 or something like that, so we'd have a lot of banter, a lot of back and forth, and uh, we might have something at the end of the year as well. Mark Atwell won it last year. Uh, Sean Sheehan got the wooden spoon, apparently. That's what everyone is saying anyway. But um, yeah, the fantasy league, we'd have the, the scoring. Um, I've already talked to the lads about that, and Thomas and Ian have done a great job of putting it together. So we'll have that detailed on Patreon. Uh, Monday or Tuesday this week and uh, you can have a look at it there and uh, send the email to the lads as well right so that's that um, right what are we talking about next do you know what Corey Anderson before we get to the rest of this card what do you think of that Beast in 25-8 has gone to Bellator he had he had uh, fights left in his UFC contract he asked for his release they granted it and he went to Bellator 
I that I find it very odd, like very oh, odd. Can you see any logic around this? I I have no idea what the crack is. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, maybe it's a sponsorship money thing, or I don't know what it is. But I don't see it being a, a big signing for Bellator either, or anything like that. So I don't think they're paying them through the roof, or, or maybe they're paying them more than the UFC, and that's all he cares about at this stage. Yeah, it's. I thought it was very odd. Like in Bellator. I don't think they have the money to throw around as you say, so, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, obviously, so so they don't there. But then you have the, they've lost the zone money. They signed some Pluto TV deal this week, which I must actually ask someone over in America or something about that. Or maybe someone listening to this could send me a DM. I haven't looked into it yet. I haven't had time, but I, I don't think that's a huge deal. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is bigger than the zone or whatever, but um, yeah, it doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> it's a very odd one. Maybe um he was on some sort of deal with the ufc that wasn't great and he they wouldn't up it or something like that and they don't think cory anderson is the, the but like cory anderson's a good fighter he, i know he lost uh, one recently but like i, I think cory anderson is good and i think he I, like i could see him fighting for his island ufc in years to come but i don't know it seemed very seemed very odd maybe there's something behind him maybe we'll hear an interview with him or some at some stage but you know, we don't see this happening ever, really, in MMA. <laughs> you know, we we, we saw the, the trade between Askren and, and uh, Demetrius Johnson, but there's no one that seems to be coming the other way. And we'll get to Michael Chandler in a minute with the, that fight. But, uh, yeah, I think it's very odd. But that's one piece of news, anyway. Um, we've not a couple of pieces of news, but let's finish off this card, I, I suppose, first we're talking about it. What about my boy, Benil Dariush? Like, Benil Dariush is becoming what I always saw Benil Dariush in my head. He, like... His chin, I think, has improved a little bit, but he's fighting a little bit better defensively while still being able to attack. Like, that was a problem with Dariush. At the start, he was coming out and he was attacking. He was getting fucking cleaned out, you know, knocked out. And then he was fighting too kind of... uh, Scared is not the right word, but too cautious, you know? But now he's not cautious, not scared at all, coming in... Being better defensively, landing big shots as well, and we know how good he is on the ground. Benil Dariush, I uh, maybe I'm a bit biased because I have a soft spot for Benil, but I think he's a top five lightweight in the world and he's there. I think he causes problems for a lot of guys around there. Now he might get knocked out as well, but he's always fun. He's always good. What, what do you think of Benil's performance last night and he's kind of come up again in his career? Yeah, it's, it's obviously um, he's on a good streak now. There, were, there was a couple of moments where I think it was after the, the fouls, after the the eye pokes, yeah. where he kind of came in angrily and you were thinking, oh, when you see his chin historically, maybe this isn't the best idea to fight angry, but it, it worked out for him. And he's just, he's, he's extremely well-rounded. Um, it's it's just a chin issue. At, uh, it's such a stacked 155 division and there's some hard hitters there as you get up the, as you get up the, the rankings. But uh if, if like you know he hasn't he hasn't been knocked out in a while if, if he's been resting his chin up i'd still always be wary like even as i mentioned like watching that fight when he was kind of going a bit fighting a bit angry you were thinking oh this could yeah. he could go out yeah out here maybe that's just from from the previous fights where we've seen it happen but um uh, top five I, I don't think so i'm just below that but in any other division he would be top five but in the 155 division there's, there's so many really well-rounded really top guys that maybe he's just a little uh below that what about him versus tony ferguson yeah that's that's, that's a good fight uh be mm-hmm. very interested to see how it looks um tony doesn't really have knockout power um historically anyway but with, with benil's chin and i don't know i'd be interested to see that like i've never really you know i've gone on about it a lot but i've never really rated tony uh, ferguson as highly as other people mm-hmm. um 
But uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good matchup. I'd, I'd actually like to see that. I, hadn't, I think it'd be a fun fight. I think it'd be a really fun fight. Like, I'd probably pick Tony to win just because I know he doesn't have big knockout power, but I think. I think he'd be able to take Benil's shots, and after three rounds, oh, it's probably it'd probably be a five round fight. After three rounds, I don't think Benil would be able to take his anymore, even though I'm a big Benil fan. But you know, Tony's chin won't last forever either. He's taken a lot of fucking damage and a lot of shots over the years, and taking it very well. But as we see with Chris Wyman, we see with other people, is that that just won't keep going. But I think Benil deserves. A, I said it before this fight, even I think he deserves a a move up and I, I, he missed weight here as well so maybe he won't get it after this but uh, I think he's mm-hmm. he's on the call I think, uh, yeah I think a three a three round bout with uh, or fight with Tony Ferguson would be Unreal more favourable for yeah. yeah yeah I think it'd be great um, so on the undercard here we had Gavin Tucker who made a really good comeback he's I always kind of rated Gavin Tucker he was gone for a good while there but he's back he looked like he was losing at the start against Justin James and he almost got submitted, I think, at the start, but then got his submission himself uh, in the third round with the rear naked choke. Really, really good. Oh, we never mentioned the banana spit as well in the, the Chris Weidman fight. That was really good mm. in the, the end of that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, Tucker yeah. nearly got his own submission at the end of the first, I think, as well, was he it? He did, um, yeah. He did. That was one of those rounds. It was, that was one of those rounds where if nothing else happened but that, he would have won the round. But, like... James just did so much more. No, he landed big, knocked him down. I think with a, a right uppercut, and then um, and then had a submission of his own on the ground. But yeah, he did. Uh, he did a great job of coming back, Evan Tucker, and the guy who's maybe you know maybe people wouldn't have expected him to do that, but he did. Uh, he did a good job. Um, Andrew Sanchez then with the mullet got a lovely knockout over Wellington Tournament. Yeah. Ko, what do you think of that one? Oh. Well, yeah, that was it. Showed a, like a lot of kind of new new things from Sanchez. He was basically on tough and after tough. He was basically just this all American wrestler in MMA. But now he seems more comfortable on the feet, and obviously is uh, is powerful enough if he's putting people away in the first round with big right cross. So uh, yeah, he's definitely looking looking improved, and be interesting to see if he can. You know he's up in he's up in um what's the name of it again up in Canada uh, yeah Troy Star for Abbey, yeah. Up in now yeah so yeah he seems to be developing and that'll only give him give him a lot of confidence in that finish against a, a good up and coming guy mm-hmm. with a lot of experience for a young guy as well yeah he looked good too he looked fast lightning his feet for a for a middleweight yeah so a good performance there by Andrew Sanchez um Darren Stewart up on the card as well you know he went in and got a good guillotine over Mackie Patola he said that he wants to have a fight again before he goes home over in uh, Fight Island. Or over in sorry, uh, Las Vegas. I think Andrew Sanchez versus Darren Stewart makes a bit of sense. I think that fight is good matchmaking. Both of them only put in about three or four minutes, so I think that one makes a bit of sense. But how, however, we'll see. Uh, my boy Nazrat Hakparas got back in the the win column here. Uh, you know, thirty twenty seven, a fairly straightforward win for him. Kevin Holland got a good win as well after his fight. Uh, was called off. Yeah, a couple of really weeks nice. Ago. Yeah. So, what did you think of his? Really performance? nice. Uh, <laughs> When the gum shield flies out, it always adds a bit yeah, of a, a bit of glamour to the to the finish and um, kind of stopping the fight himself as well was 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 nice as well. Yeah, yeah. So very good. Tim Means as well got a unanimous decision over uh, Strapoli, and uh, typically kind of Tim Means fighting. I think it was in the second round there. <laughs> Just going back and forth. So that was pretty good. Uh, then we had the Benil. They called it a spinning back fist, but it was a wasn't a spinning back fist. He hit him with the uh, the forearm and knocked him out with the that. Forearm, yeah, yeah. It was very good. Then Kunitskaya, spinning clothesline, <laughs> Kunitskaya versus Storioli. The fucking shit. You oh, was so bad. Just pushing her against the fence for fucking three rounds. Oh, good god, it was awful. It was awful. Terrible fight. Uh, then Stewart, then Weidman, and in the main event. 
Uh, Derek Lewis. Did you saw the did you see the Yusef Zahal? No, Zahal I didn't. Was that any good? Fight. I missed the first two. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, obviously, we went to decision in the end, but in the first round, he uh, he hit um, Bennett with a or Bar- Barrett, Barrett, yeah, Barrett. Barrett with a spinning back kick to the face and oh, yeah. knocked him down. He did very well to survive, and um, he looks he looks to have a lot of. Uh, to be a good prospect, have a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, he'll come up against much stiffer competition, but uh, yeah, he he looks a uh, looks a prospect. Yeah, and then onto the main event, I suppose we had um, Alexi Olnik versus Derek Lewis in what was a very Alexi Olnik versus Derek Lewis fight. I thought you know Lewis was trying to land his big shots every time. Olnick tried to kind of pull it to the ground. Lewis was throwing like big hammer fists and punches straight to the fucking back of the head as well um, at one stage. But <sighs> Olnick, he had a scarf hold at one stage. I thought, yeah, I, I know, I, t- I predicted before, an arm bar, an arm. And I thought it was there a couple of times where he could have maybe adjusted to it. And I don't think Derek Lewis is good enough on the ground in terms of jiu-jitsu to like, you know pop up or be quick enough to kind of pop up like that you when Derek Lewis pops up it's usually with strength but I think if you like get into like a technical battle and scrambles with him like that you could catch him in something and like trying to catch Derek Lewis in a scarf holder and a Ziki like he's just too big he's you know he's too sizey you just it's I think it's very hard to catch Derek Lewis like that so I, I think Olenek I think Olenek had the winning in this fight but he went for the wrong things at the wrong time and needed to make I think big moves and big adjustments to catch Lewis and what he needed to submit him um and I don't think he ever kind of threatened even to do that but you know still and all he did well in the first round and almost caught Lewis a couple of times but uh it just felt like Lewis Lewis kind of offered him kind of he wasn't the best game plan really uh, for Lewis like if he just kind of fought the way he fought in the the second round he would he would have been better off uh obviously it ended very quickly and kind of accepting the grappling and not pushing off and the striking I thought was a asking for trouble but uh, yeah he's obviously very big and very strong especially early on he's very strong and able to just kind of explode out of things and when he does land obviously you mentioned a couple to the back of the head uh in the first round but in the second round um like when he lands you see how devastating it is and when his ground and pound is obviously kind of his best attribute and once it kind of went to that position you kind of knew it was all over before even before he even landed yeah yeah like i think i think lewis's game plan was was to land big shots when he could and then kind of just try to survive the rest which is kind of always lewis's game plan i suppose but against against Olenek that's a bit dangerous as you said if you're kind of accepting the grappling positions because if you know accepting the grappling positions against Olenek is not is not a good decision but I think like you know people always talk about <coughs> jiu-jitsu is the way around a stronger opponent but is it really though is it I, I think Derek Lewis kind of showed it's like a huge differential in jiu-jitsu and Derek Lewis survived what four minutes on the ground or whatever it was with him in the first round so I'll have the jiu-jitsu nuts give it out to me now but like strength is better than jiu-jitsu like we all <laughs> we all know it but yeah like I don't know I think if ju- well if you take out if it's just jiu-jitsu and you take out the strikes from Derek mm-hmm. Lewis it probably look very different that's yeah that's very true as well but I, I do think as well as I mentioned like if Olnick had adjusted and you know gone balls out for an armbar or different things like you saw at the end of the first round he went for the key lock and he almost had it like that's that's another one. i think like if you're trying to go to the neck of Derek lewis or the head of Derek lewis as he was with the scarf holder the you know whatever it might be 
that's a very tough way of getting him out. But like, I think there's a there's a problem here with Derek Lewis, and maybe we move past the the fight. Like, I saw um, oh, what's his name? The 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 Canadian Brett Akamoto. What's his name? Aaron Bronstetter tweeting last night that he was like. Uh, fourth in the world now and he's on a three five win streak beating uh even of latifi and olnik and he's a win over francis ingano which is like he doesn't really <laughs> to be honest uh, could he be next could he get over francis and fight the winner or the whatever whoever it might be of next week's fight which we'll get to like i don't we saw what happened against carmia like i think everyone kind of acknowledges and it's maybe a sad indictment for the ufc heavyweight division heavyweight mma in general that Derek Lewis is a top five heavyweight. Like it's like this is a guy who's decided to do cardio before his last fight. Like you know, it's uh, he's just not. He's a good fighter, like, but he's not that good. And to be ranked top five in the world at a division when you're like only okay and don't really train properly is it's a weird, sad indictment of the division, isn't it? More than anything else. Yeah, well, heavyweight historically has always been kind of very top heavy in uh, in terms of the talent. As you get down, there's just kind of sluggers, and you know, Derek Lewis is probably like a well-rounded slugger in mm. comparison in comparison to some of the, the historic sluggers we've had in the in, towards the the top ten or fifteen of the of the heavyweight division. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, yeah, big guys still go into most big guys still go into different sports, um, NFL and stuff like that in America. Mm-hmm. But you, I think as as time goes on, you probably you you probably have you know um, more talent in in the heavyweight division. But it's it's also a division where you know somebody like Derek Lewis with the big power he has can can just beat a, somebody of much superior ability with mm-hmm. just one one shot or a, a combination on the ground of, of ground and pound. So. Um. Yeah. Uh. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's kind of the way it's always been in the heavyweight division. Yeah, I suppose it is true. It is true. Like speaking of heavyweight division, we might as well move on to to next week's card and talk about this uh, main event: Stephen Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. Cormier saying he's going to retire, win or lose, after this fight. I believe it when I see it. I suppose on that one. Uh, and Stipe with these beautiful, luscious, long locks of hair now <laughs> coming in, looking, looking, uh, looking unreal coming into this. Um, obviously, the first two meetings are coming up. I've actually already recorded them. They're coming up in the rewatch this year on Patreon. So sign up patreon.com forward slash severe podcast. One will be Wednesday, one will be Thursday, I think. Um, uh, the first fight, obviously, Cormier came out, just kept looking for the clinch all the time and knocked out Stipe from the break. And in the second fight, he, a similar sort of thing emerged with looking for shots on the break. But there was a lot of, uh, as I'll mention on the rewatch, like two-handed hand fighting from Cormier, where he kind of got inside, put his two hands up, got Stipe to do the same, and then landed short shots inside. You saw this a lot in the, the John Jones fights and other fights as well. But Stipe adjusted from that, was kind of... When you when you like when you put your two hands up to hand fight like that, what happens? Like you leave the bottom half of your body wide open, and Stipe kind of noticed that. And like every entry, Cormier did like that. Uh, he was, you know, every entry, Cormier did like that. He wasn't coming in low. He wasn't coming in for double leg takedowns. He didn't adjust when Stipe started attacking the body, and all Cormier's game plan was to clinch, clinch, clinch. Uh, hand fight and in land be the quicker man inside and it worked for him well for a good amount of time although Stipe did a lot better I think in that position uh, in the second fight but um, once Stipe attacked the body and adjusted Cormier couldn't uh, couldn't adjust himself again and I think it's going to be very interesting to see because 
that's the best part of Cormier's game. Like, you know, okay, Cormier can come in and get a single leg and push you against the cage and take you down that way as well. And that might be what he what happens here and what he tries to do. But Stipe is strong. He's a good wrestler himself, and it won't be too easy to take him down against the cage. So I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, adjustments Cormier has here. Um, for a smaller man, that's his Like, Cormier is really good at getting inside. But Stipe beat him on the inside in the second half of that second fight um, by using what Cormier uses to get inside. So it's a very interesting one that Stipe, if, if Stipe fights the longer game, kick, kicking legs from the outside and stuff, he'll be winning the fight, you know, in a similar way maybe to, to what John Jones did. But Cormier will be able to stay in it because he has that John Jones experience and the last couple of Stipe fights as well. But if Stipe can beat him on the inside as well, it's going to be a very difficult night for Cormier um, from the tactics of the fight. But I'm very, like, I'm very interested because there's a lot of changes between those two fights and in the third one there's going to be changes again and these are high-level guys, both of them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what adjustments both of them make. What are you kind of thinking coming into the fight, having kind of maybe watched back the, the other two and, and thinking back on them themselves? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough one to call, but I probably I'm I'm leaning towards Cormier. Um, I was I was kind of more towards Cormier before, but I'm kind of unsure now. But I, I think Cormier will um, you know, put on that kind of relentless pace that he puts on, and I I think uh, although Stipe's wrestling is good, I think Cormier's is better obviously adjustments whoever makes a better adjustments in the, in in the kind of clinch is probably going to win this but uh cormier himself, both of them have knockout power cormier kind of was a bit reckless when he got knocked out um i thought i thought he was kind of asking for it uh, <laughs> in the last fight but um i think i think there's more easy adjustments for cormier to make than there is for stipe so I think, yeah, I think it's a very even fight, but I think I think Cormier should have enough. Yeah, I, I I would agree there's more easy adjustments for Cormier to make, but I think those easy adjustments might make the fight harder for him, you know? Because, like, what's he going to adjust from? Like, is he not going to fight on the inside anymore? Is he, like, is he not going to hand fight? Like, what's, what's he going to do then? Okay, maybe he'll all-out wrestle, but if that doesn't work, like, you're fighting a bigger, taller man who's a better striker from the outside... I don't think that's a great. I, like, I'm very interested to see what he does. I'm sure he's like, obviously, he's a lot smarter than me. And uh, Javier Mendez as well knows what he's doing and, and is well able to put a game plan together as we've seen in the past. But I'm very interested to see what he does. Like, will he? I don't know. Will it, Will he be throwing lots of kicks from the outside and trying to keep it an outside fight from the start? Maybe push deep against the fence and try to take out a bit of his cardio and maybe late do the hand fighting again and maybe maybe keep a bit of his own cardio back as well because Cormier at heavyweight I think that's an issue as well. Like Cormier's old now. We want to see forty three years of age, forty two years of age, and every picture we've seen of him in the last year and there's kind of an ongoing joke around the place that Cormier's fat and he's overweight and all. And I saw a thing like, I think it was a promo on the on the uh, broadcast saying how it's the best camp ever and he didn't hold anything back he said if i didn't make the fight i didn't make the fight and i'm gonna go all out anyway and it's gone well for me like aka is known for injuries it's it's known for training hard and getting in like how fit is cormier gone into this uh in terms of like his weight and everything like that and how fit is he in terms of injuries i i think there's a lot of unknowns with cormier i think steep uh I think Stipe is a lot more predictable, but that's not always a good thing. As you, you know, as you said, there he got, he did get beaten for most of the two fights. Um, so, like, I think I, I'd probably pick Stipe, although I'll, I'll, I might adjust that again as the week goes. But it's a very, in, like, it's a very interesting tactical fight in a sort of like a um, <laughs> an insider's way, if you if you know what I mean. Like, it's. Uh, 
it's one of those fights where we I, I you know it reminds me kind of of the the Johnny Hendrix Robbie Lawler fights where it's two or you know or not Robbie Lawler what's his name yeah the Robbie Lawler um Rory McDonald fight where it's kind of two evenly matched but different sort of fighters just kind of going hell for leather and obviously in heavyweight there's a bigger maybe chance of the uh of the of the knockout or something big like happening the two fights happening but uh yeah I'm very interested like to to see what happens what, oh, who uh, what do you think is the best outcome for the heavyweight division do you, do you think it's if Steve like a steep um, historically is a very good fighter well, you know <laughs> one of the best heavyweights ever but like not a great talker and not a great draw I don't think would it be better if Cormier won even if he did relinquish it and you'd have Francis coming in there fighting? I don't think I don't think I don't think Cormier is a great talker or a great draw either. Uh, obviously he's a bit more of a personality than 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 Stipe. Yeah. But that's you know, that doesn't take much. Mm-hmm. Um uh, yeah. Um if Cormier's gonna retire, like it's hard to believe retirements. Like he's been talking yeah. about retiring for, for years now. Yeah, literally. Um and he's like he's a competitor, and John Jones is always lurking there in in the shadows mm-hmm. when it comes to Daniel Cormier. Um, I'm sure Daniel Cormier would love to to shut John Jones up, like you know that would mm-hmm. that would give him the to, to, to beat John Jones, or would give him probably the most pleasure he's ever had in his competitive career. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like it depends on if Cormier if Cormier's going to retire, they probably don't want him to win the belt. Yeah. Um, but if he's going to fight on. If we could finally convince John Jones to to step up, then it'd be great for the the UFC if if Cormier and Jones fought for the the heavyweight belt. I think the easiest prediction in the world to make, uh, say like after the fight, let's say Cormier wins, the easiest prediction in the world to make is Cormier retires in the cage. John Jones tweets that he wants to fight him at heavyweight, and they get to the press conference, and someone asks Daniel Cormier, and he goes, "Well, if John Jones wants to fight me at heavyweight, I'll have to think about that." <laughs> and then they make John Jones versus uh, Daniel Cormier at heavyweight. Now that might be a bit tougher because the UFC doesn't seem to want to pay anyone, even though they're making fucking hand over fist with money. Uh, but like, I, I like I don't I, know. Like, <laughs> if he's retired for twenty minutes, he could be completely out of shape by the time the press conference comes. <laughs> Yeah, but like Jones has been a bit quiet lately, and you know, I'd be very surprised if I didn't hear something from him if DC did win because it'd be the perfect like it makes so much sense if he, if he did uh, if he did go up and fight him for the title after losing him, beating him twice before, and it'd be perfect as well if Cormier did retire after that. But I don't know, maybe Cormier is one of these guys who said right, he's kind of had lots of failure throughout his whole career, and that's very fucking harsh because he's a successful guy. You know, he's one of the top twenty best fighter. Well, maybe top. 40 50 best fighters in USC history like um so that's very harsh to say that but like he's kind of failed at the olympics and then he failed against john jones but then he won the title and then he won the heavyweight title and i think when he won that first heavyweight title i think i came on the podcast and said that like this is the first step kind of getting away from john jones and building your own sort of legacy that i it, it, you know when he won the light heavyweight title it was because john jones was gonna win we kind of all know that you know um but the heavyweight title was without doubt legitimate uh and if you could win it a second time in a, in a trilogy it, it would go a long way to kind of getting away from the shadow of john jones again and if he ended his career like that it'd be great like i think it's a perfect time for daniel carmy to end his career i don't think i don't think he's the fighter he once was to be honest and it's not going to get any better when you're 43 years of age and especially if john jones at what 32 or 3 is, is coming up fighting you so i, I hope he retires john jones loves point loves messing with uh with cormier he as well it. so like if cormier was to retire as champion or you know uh john jones tweets something like yeah i'm moving up to heavyweight are you still there pussy and cormier oh, is back yes. away. it's that easy <laughs> 
Yes, that got me excited just those <laughs> hearing those words. That oh, that'd be perfect. That oh my god, that's perfect. Tweet that to John Jones and tell him to fucking do it. But yeah, look, I'm looking. Look, I'm looking forward to this fight anyway. And it's one of those fights as well that you know someone asked us about a couple of weeks. Are so you looking forward to it? And I was like, yeah, we kind of but we're like, yeah, but not really. But now I think because it's not just a fight where you know it's a really good fight, but there's a lot at stake as well and a lot going to change afterwards no matter what happens it'll either be Carmade retiring and this, you know a new uh, title challenger coming through or it's going to be you know Carmade retiring and Stipe maybe fighting John Jones or Stipe fighting Francis Ngano again which would be a big a good big fight as well so yeah look I'm I'm looking forward to the coming up to it and the aftermath and everything like that as well and we'll have the betting show as well on Friday hopefully if everything goes well so patreon.com forward slash severe man podcast There's not, there really hasn't been a better week in a long time to sign up for patreon there's a shitload going on this week so five or a month and you get like 700 backlog of podcasts as well and all the new ones so there you go um also on this card sean o'malley steps up against marlon vera at 135 pounds you know sean o'malley's kind of taken off you know a lot of people he sean o'malley could be the next star you know a lot of a lot of people talk about who could be the next star who is the next star but Sean O'Malley's kind of making it happen a little bit for himself which we talk about uh, a lot of the time you kind of have to do that and uh, fighting Marlon Vera he lost to Song Yadong in his last fight in a, in a, in a, a relatively close fight um, beat Andre Yule and a few Frankie signs and a couple more before that as well so I think a good step up you know he's beaten Brian Keller and Bard Pickett as well so a good step up here for Sean O'Malley and I, but I think he'll be well able for what do you think? Yeah, yeah, well, I think the, the couple of years off or the, the time off definitely helped him. Um, he looks to have kind of grown into his body. In his last fight, he looked more solid and looked more kind of... Uh, thick. His body looked more thick, yeah, more suitable to MMA. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think he's. I think from from the little bit we saw in his last fight, I think he's got a lot more to show of the improvements he's made. And he was already good before that. He was just kind of gangly. Um, mm. So I think yeah, I think this is a nice and nice matchup for him. It's it's good matchmaking. It'll it'll be a bit of a test, but he should come through probably quite spectacularly. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking here. Ian Kutalaba is fighting uh, Ankalaev, and they already fought, and Ankalaev won in 38 seconds. What happened? There? Was that the Ipok one? Was that an Ipok that happened? I can't remember. But uh, yeah, they're rematching again for some reason. I I probably should have looked that up before the, I looked up the card, but I'm sure everyone's like roaring at me. But anyway, yeah, shouldn't that should be fun? Didn't Junior Dos Santos versus Jarzinho Rosenstruck? And I saw, I think it was Zane Simon tweeting about this last night. It's like, oh, Junior's gonna look good. He's gonna come out and like throw his hands, and then he's gonna get into one exchange, try to push him against the fence. There's gonna be a break, and then Rosenstruck's just gonna knock him out. <laughs> I feel like that is... Although with Rosenstruck, you never know. Like, Rosenstruck's the kind of guy who can just wait and wait and wait, and it might be the end of the fucking third round before he knocks him out. Or might, you know, he might lose a decision, but... Uh, I would be surprised if Rosenstruck didn't knock Junior DeSantis out in 2020. Do you think he will as well, or do you, do you see a way forward for JDS? Like, yeah, I, I see JDS could win this fight. I, I'd lean towards Rosenstruck, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like, Junior Santos, like, he hasn't really sh- <clears throat> shown it too much recently, but he does have big power as well. And mm-hmm. he's definitely, um, he's more well-rounded than Rosenstruck and has kind of more more places he can bring the fight to and be, be more comfortable. But, yeah, I think the, yeah, just the, the chin of DeSantis isn't what it was. The speed and the pop in his punches isn't what it was. He's he's just not the fighter he was. But I wouldn't be wouldn't be too surprised here if he if he was to get a knockout himself or to to grind out a decision. 
Interesting, interesting. I, I, I would be surprised to be honest, but uh, yeah, like JDS is, is still a good fighter and he's still there, thereabouts. But sure, we'll see how it goes. This John Dodson versus Mirab Dishvili fight that this could be a mad shit altogether. If people don't remember, Dishvili is the guy who got like a world record for takedowns in one of his fights, which is not probably a great stat to have because it means you can't hold the guy down or you can't land damage on the ground if you're getting so many takedowns but anyway and we, we know john dodson like the the fastest guy in the world and this could be just mad scrambles and insanity for three rounds more than likely i every time someone fights john dodson you know it's we we saw against Nathaniel Wood. He's he's a tough yardstick for anyone coming up through that division. You know, we saw Peter Yan beat him. Um, we saw Marlon Moraes beat him and John Lineker. But he's beaten you know Nathaniel Wood, beaten Pedro Munoz, beaten Zach Mikovsky back in the day. Looking back through it, and John Moraga down at flyweight and other people like that as well. He did it so. Yeah, it's a tough fight, isn't it for for uh, the and a good I think a good fight, good yeah. matchmaking. Yeah, Dodson is like you know he's he's got good takedown defense as well, and he's very hard to keep down. Uh, on the Ultimate Fighter, he was kind of bragging years ago that he'd never been taken down and all this stuff. So like, uh, he's definitely co- a confident guy uh, all around, and he has big power in, in his left hand. And over the years, sometimes you don't know which John Dodson you're going to get. Um, he's a bit inconsistent, but uh, I think. Uh, I think Josh the Nash really, uh should have enough to to win just about. But John Dodson, like you know, would I be that surprised if he kind of was able to stuff some takedowns and and land that left hand a little bit, make it a really close fight? We've seen him in some very close fights. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I see this probably being a being a close decision that Dodson probably maybe will wait around too much to win, but it, it'll be close and could go either way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, going down. Then we've Jim Miller versus Vince Pichel. Obviously, two guys who've been around for a long time. That should be fun. Uh, Ashley Orr yeah. versus Leva Hinata Souza. Two people I never heard of. Felice Herrig is back here again. Uh, I've, I've kind of a soft spot for Felice. I think she had a lot of improvements, but I think she got big injuries there a while back, and she's been out of the cage. Let me look here. What year have we? 2020. Uh, just looking at the record here. She hasn't fought since October 2018. Mm. Yeah, so... She was looking kind of the best she'd ever looked in her career. She she'd been obviously been around for a long time, and mm-hmm. you kind of thought maybe she might plateau, but she looked to, in her last couple of fights to be to be improving, and then obviously being out for a couple of years it, it doesn't help at all. But we, we don't know if it's been if she's been improving in the gym or if she's just been rehabbing injuries the whole time. So um, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to pick her in this fight. Yeah, um, Wikipedia says she did an ACL in 2019, so that's uh, probably the reason why she's been out. Yeah. Like she went to okay, she lost to Michelle Waterson before that, and she lost in a split decision to Kovalkovic. But you know, she beat Courtney Casey, she beat Justine Kish, she beat Alexa Grasso and Kaylin Corn. Those, those are all good wins. Like so, yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rule um, uh, Felice Herrig out of coming back and making a bit of a comeback here. But first fight back is always going to be tough and fighting uh, Virno Janderoba should be fun. Uh, Herbert Burns, Daniel Pineda, and TJ Brown versus Daniel Shafeth as well. Should be a bit of crack, sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Bellator. I know you see it all, but I, I didn't say. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll do that first. So we had uh, Adam Barrocks look good when he beat uh, Mike Hamill. Um, won a split decision there, you know, but a kind of a good comeback fight for him. Uh, Valerie Lareda, my favorite TikTok fighter. She. <laughs> Okay, she's she's three and zero, and it looked like it. You know, it looked like a fighter with two fights and and a, maybe a taekwondo background. She looked good. You know, she it's easy to criticize Valerie, I suppose, because of you know 
are, are easy to critique her, I suppose, because she's kind of put herself in the limelight, uh, which is what everyone tries. It's funny because, uh, not to get into the whole like sexism debate or anything like that, but it's funny because we talk about we talked about Sean O'Malley there a couple of minutes ago, and we, I um, commended him for like putting himself in that limelight and making himself a big star. We talk about it all the time, obviously, after McGregor and all like that. And Loretta's trying to do this. You know, she's having an attempt to do this and people are giving her awful criticism for it. Where would a man get a similar sort of uh, criticism when, and I know it's in, in maybe in a different sort of way, but it, putting yourself out there is putting yourself out there, you know, and making fans is making fans. And I think well, that's what the, she's trying to do. all the people who put themselves out there, all the people who do put themselves out there are going to get, a lot, are going to be True. polarizing figures and they're going to, you know, the people who don't like them are going to be vocal. So I think you just got to accept that and just power through and believe that, your stick or your personality will will resonate in the end true true and even if it doesn't instantly people are going to be yeah even if it doesn't create haters it it works the same way yeah Yeah, if people know who you are then perfect that's it and she's done that so and she's a good fighter as well like but she'll need a lot of big improvements i think but she landed a lovely right hand and uh, got a good finish there so fair play to her uh, on that one as well um chris lincioni beat aj azagram who is the typical like when I think of jujitsu fighter coming into MMA being useless, this is who I think of. He just looked atrocious, grabbing onto legs, couldn't get anything, took loads of shots, then cried about the decision afterwards. Uh <laughs> when he lost it said he's gonna appeal it and all, even though it was like the clearest loss you could ever see because he did absolutely fucking nothing. And then uh <laughs> Chris Lincioni like stuck out his tongue afterwards and Age Azagram refused to shake his hand and Mike Beltran ran over, caught Age Azagram, pulled him over and made him shake hands. <laughs> Lincioni was one of the fucking funniest scenes I've seen in a long time. But uh yeah, Lincioni looked good anyway. But uh, actually he's an eagle dick tattooed on him as well, so that's very odd. Just typical Bellator this was. Uh, Sabah Hamasi versus uh, B. Chris Millinder by unanimous decision. Miles Jory, George Carcanyon. Um, close fight. I think it was one of those fights where Miles Jory won the third. 30-27 opposite ways on the judges' scorecards. Yeah, yeah, I think one of them. Yeah, there yeah. was, but I tweeted in the middle of the fight that that could happen. It was one of those fights. I think the third, like, there was nine rounds scored, obviously, from the three judges. I think one judge got the one round completely wrong uh the fifth round i don't think or the, the fifth round the third round i don't think uh Carcanyon had any case to win that but the second the first and second i think jury could have won either of them uh Carcanyon could have won either of them it was one of those so you know i i i thought Carcanyon did enough to win the first two but it was it was so close that you know it had split decision written all over it, to be honest it was one of those fights it was really really close but uh yeah um one judge gave it to give the the third, but it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. I think that even that uh, wrongly scored round, in my opinion, uh, I don't think it would have made a difference anyway. Jury still would have won it, but anyway. Uh, Tim Johnson then Matt Mitrion. Did you see this? Like Mitrion took a bit of a headbutt, uh, went down, and then Johnson finished him with ground and pound. But like, it was one of those headbutts where <laughs> it was a typical Matt Mitrion fight, right? He they kind of clashed heads oh, headbutt is wrong wrong wording there they clashed heads and Mitrion like went fucking full Luis Suarez and just like threw himself to the ground and was you know I thought he was going to get a disqualification or whatever and then just took like loads of undefended shots now maybe I'm being harsh on him and maybe he took a big fucking headbutt and he was knocked out or whatever but he to me to me just this is my personal opinion he played it up a bit hammed it up and 
it went very badly for him and he got knocked out but uh just yeah, like, well, he's kind of got a track a track record for hamming things up, yeah, uh, even yeah. back to his ultimate fighter days. So maybe that played against him a bit when, if if a real kind of no messing Fedor or something saying that, maybe the ref would think, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll let the doctor have a look at this or whatever. But when it's Matt Mitri on, you're probably like, ah, it's yeah. probably Matt probably Matriano. Matriano. <laughs> Matriano. Definitely. Apparently, Derek Lewis came up with that. I saw Ben Fox tweeting that last night, which I didn't even know. So, fair play to him on that. Uh, and in the main, main event, Michael Chandler just came in there and destroyed Vincent Henderson. Hit him with, uh, he kind of hit a, a, a kick to the body and then switched to the opposite stance. And Vincent Henderson wasn't, uh, I think someone put up, I think it was a Luke Thomas put up a video maybe of it. Um, Vincent Henderson wasn't expecting it and then hit him with a big shot. It was a weird one though because he knocked him down. Vincent Henderson looked like he was surviving, he was grand. And then he kind of just, he was gone, you know. And maybe it was the second shot that Michael Chandler hit him with on the ground, but it was an odd one. Maybe he was just stunned and he was trying to get back on. He was like, no, I can't get back up. I'm fucked here, but... Um, you know, and Pinson Henderson is a guy who historically has a very good chin. You know, I know he's. I think he's been knocked out once before, but he's historically a guy who's been in lots of fights with good people and taken lots of shots. And you know, there's been lots of close decisions and things like that. But for Chandler to knock him out in was it one? Yeah, it was the first round, two min, two minutes and nine seconds of the first round. According to topology, here was very good. And now he goes into free agency. Um, where would you expect Michael Chandler to end up, Graham? What do you think? Oh, I like it. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I'd love to see him in the UFC. <sighs> yeah, I, I, it's hard to know. Like, I think he'd, he'd probably need to be on, on, he's probably on a lot of money in Bellator. He'd probably need a sizable contract from the UFC and some kind of guarantee of a upcoming title shot, kind of similar to what Eddie Alvarez got when he moved over from, um, from Bellator. If the UFC are willing to offer him that, I'd say he'd take it. But if they're not, Bellator are going to offer more money and sponsorships and all that. Maybe he'll stay there. He seems to be uh, happy enough there. I haven't seen too much from from him. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him say anything bad about Bellator. Like Eddie Alvarez was was kind of trashing Bellator for a while yeah, before he left and got into like a legal legal suit with them and took a couple of years. And um, yeah, um, I'd love to see him in the UFC, but for some reason I think he'll probably end up not in the UFC. Yeah. Um... I think it's very hard because I don't think the UFC, as you kind of alluded to, there, they won't offer him as much money as Bellator will pay him at all. I don't think like if he goes into the UFC, like they might offer him fifty and fifty or something like that. But I, I think he's on probably on a lot more than that in in Bellator. But the last time we yeah. had this conversation, they're not really in a position to offer him a title shot either, are they? No, no, they're not. Especially with like you know Habib talking about fighting GSP and McGregor's always around there as well. But like the last time we talked about this exact topic, Michael Chandler signed a new contract and went back with Bellator. And I think we had the same reasoning. You know, Bellator are going to pay him more than the UFC. But now he's done that, right? Is it a case of Chandler wants to go to the UFC so he can say he fought in the UFC? Like, I know it's a different world these days and Bellator paying a lot of money and doing good things. But, like, if you're a fighter who's as good as Michael Chandler, you know, at one time probably a top top 10, maybe top 5 lightweight in the world and to have never fought in the UFC, he's fought some very good competition. But... You know, let's say anyone listening to this podcast started fighting now and you wanted to become one of the best fighters in the world and imagine you never got to the UFC. Like, there would be a bit of disappointment there still, wouldn't there? Like, I think maybe that might come into his thinking and he might take less money just to have, like, three or four fights in the UFC. He could always go back to Bellator or somewhere else, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he just yeah. wants more money in Bellator. It's a good time, you know. 
he just knocked out the former UFC uh, lightweight champion. Uh, it's a good time for him to kind of be in a strong position, but uh, I don't think he has the star power, power that the UFC will be thinking, you know, uh, yeah. we, we can pay this guy a lot of money and, and kind of... He'd have to, yeah, he'd have to do it for like the kind of the the love of the, the game. UFC kind of the, the UFC kind of letters and the the fact that he's probably still annoyed with people when he says he's an MMA fighter or whatever people mm-hmm. saying, oh, do you fight in the UFC and being extremely disappointed when he says no. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> but like you know, uh, like like yeah, no, maybe he can set out all those Dave and Buster's for the UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody seems to know him there. <laughs> Dave and Buster will never financially recover from Michael Chandler if he leaves. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> one, or, one or two more things before we go away. We will, this is a long podcast. Um, well, did you see this news during the week that Habib is not coming to AKA for his camp against Gaethje? Uh Which before you would have said, all right, look, fair enough. But his father just passed away, and you know his father was like one of his head trainers as well. And I'm sh- look, I'm sure there's other people there, and I'm sure there's a lot of good trainers and everything like that that aren't you know Javier Mendez or aren't his father in uh, in Russia as well. But that's that's. That's a big bit of news, I think. Like, he's not going to be training with uh, Javier Mendez, and uh, obviously his father's not around anymore. It's interesting. And what, what do you think that might do you think that might affect Habib coming into the Gaethje fight? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what the situation with his with his coaches and training partners are um, outside of AKA and and his father. So uh, it's hard to really comment. But yeah, it seems strange uh, um, with a tough fight coming up to to mix it up so much. Um, to not have your father there, obviously, and then to not have, uh, maybe, obviously, they'll probably, they'll probably, aka guys will be in his corner come to fight, uh, but it's different, like, you know, um, Habib's kind of known not really to listen to anybody in his corner anyway, um, yeah. but, just in the training, in the camp, um, the tactics, the game plan, I'm sure they'll be on the, on the phone, and on the, on, on the Zoom or whatever, but, mm-hmm. it's not the same, um, yeah, interesting, I think, yeah, I'd say this is definitely a bit of a, you know, confidence booster for for Gaethje yeah. to, to put even you know to put even more confidence behind him yeah uh, right like let's it's a tough the... time for Habib like you know yeah, like your, your father dying yeah. and all is, is, is distracting and there's a lot of shit going on and, and you know this this you know maybe maybe it'll just look the same as most of his fights but mm-hmm. it could be a factor and if, if, if there's a small drop off Gaethje's well capable of taking advantage yeah 100% very interesting to you, of course uh, let's answer one or two questions before we go Dar- Darren Till's left testicle asks and a couple of other people asked as well about it um who, who was it there on uh, Mitch uh, Buchanan about Derek Lewis's I need to take a shit thing <sighs> Did you see that? Like afterwards, he did an interview with Paul Felder, and he just said it as they were going live on screen. It was like the most planned. Like I like Derek Lewis. I think he's very funny a lot of the time. But when you have a stick like Derek Lewis, I think you have to make it more natural. And this, it just wasn't funny at all. <laughs> I think it just missed totally with this one. What, what did you think of him and his uh, his jokes afterwards? Yeah, they're 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 not very uh, high class jokes <laughs> or very, yeah, they very funny work jokes. With them, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about it now, so it's 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 worked. I suppose, <laughs> Mr. Pods, in some way. Do you think uh, the legend, Mr. Pods? Do you think Ben Neil Dariush is now an upper echelon fighter, Graham? No, I don't think so. Do think I, so? I don't think so. I don't think that Tony is either. Yeah, Mr. Podge actually got, mentioned um, Tony as well. High upper echelon. Oh, you don't uh, think Tony's an upper echelon fighter? <laughs> What is upper echelon like no. top one or two? As I said before, the Tony fight when he fights somebody upper echelon, he'll lose, you're and he did. Yeah, you're correct. 
Does Niall McGrath still owe you that 50 euro? Of course he does. Yeah, yeah. He still owes me that. He, he still has many weird reasons for not giving it to me. Yeah. I can't remember all of them because they're so uh, illogical. Illogical. <laughs> they are, yeah. They are. Um, Vincent Henderson from Strike.mx. Vincent Henderson was the first big defector from the UFC, but is he the least successful of their acquisitions? I like. I don't think many of them have been that successful. Okay, Ryan Bader has done well, and Gegard Musassi has done well, and you know, Rory McDonald did well as well, but a lot of guys like Mitrion hasn't done all that great and even if they have like Czech Congo has won a lot of fights but has he just set the world on fire or anything I don't know I don't know it's it's an interesting there's I just need, need a few lads in the balls in fairness though yeah there's another a question here <laughs> a few he short. has yeah he has we, we landed on this question I think it's an interesting question I'll answer every other question if you've seen any question this week I will answer it in the Q&A this week on Patreon be out on Tuesday so lots of stuff on Patreon patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast um, complete fighter if Bellator ever want to compete with the UFC, do you agree that fighters with poor records and less than five pro fights should not be signed to the organization? This might mean some Irish fighters currently signed would not be there. Prelims were awful. This is an interesting question, I think, because you're not seeing those guys really and, and girls on the, the main card and on TV. So, like, kind of having them hit away on the, the prelims doesn't really make ticket, much of a difference. Ticket sellers, yeah. Doesn't, ticket but, sellers. Yeah, doesn't make much of a difference. Like, the hardcores are going to be watching them and the hardcores want to probably see them anyway. Like, we... Uh, maybe not the... Like, we want to see the ones in, in Ireland coming through and seeing them and I'm sure the American MMA fans want to see the ones in America. Or like, if you're from San Diego and there's some 2-0 fighter coming through that you think is very good in San Diego, I'm sure you'd love to see them on a Bellator prelim. So. And I think they do it as well because... You have, you know, if you sign James Gallagher when he's three and or whatever it is, you can bring him through in his organ in your org- in your organization and make him a very good fighter, or Fabian Edwards, or whoever it might be, or AJ McKee, and sign them before the UFC get them and give them fights and more money there, so they're already in your organization. You know, and that's their, I think that's their tactic. So if they gave up on people and they only signed uh, people who are ten and or you know eight and or thirty and ten or whatever it might be, they'd lose out on all those fighters. And what's going to happen when? Let's say, you know, Fabian Edwards gets to, to 15 and 0 in, you know, Cage Warriors or whatever it might be. You know, he's going to go to the UFC. You know, so they need to get there before the UFC and sign those guys. And I think that's probably the reasoning why they do it. But anyway, what do you, do you think? But, but when, they build, when they build these guys, when they build like an MVP or whatever mm-hmm. from, uh, they need to use them. <laughs> they need to use them more often in big fights. Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of promotional malpractices as your boy uh, Luke yeah. Thomas would say going on with uh, with MVP and, and others um, it feels like about five yeah. years since MVP fought like when I don't know he's just gone disappeared off the face of the earth like he fought Kylie and then he he got knocked out before that against uh, Diego Lima, Lima. Douglas Lima, Lima. he's uh, his lesser known brother Douglas, Douglas Lima yeah. Yeah. and uh, yeah he's not I don't know he fought someone else another can and that, that, that guy who doesn't fight in the UFC Douglas Lima yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was the most ludicrous shit ever. Like, but anyway, uh, Bader versus Nimkov as well is happening soon. That should be a, not a bad fight. Uh, and uh, Figueroa versus Cody Garbrandt is happening, and Valentina Shinkov versus yeah. Damian Maya or Damian Maya, uh, Jennifer Maya. Um, that'd be fun on the same card. Uh, to uh, I, I like that putting both flyweight titles on the same card. I, I think that's that's fun. You can, you know, fly, hashtag fly never die. You should call it that. But. Uh, what do you think of Cody Garbrandt going down to flyweight? I, I'm not a big fan of it. I think it's foolhardy. His <laughs> first fight is... Yeah, it's a very difficult first fight in a new weight class, especially mm-hmm. when you're you're not that big a guy for the division above. Not that he's small, but it's, it just wasn't really in my thinking that this was kind of on the cards. 
um, yeah, I don't see it going well for Cody. Like he obviously has good knockout power and stuff, but um, Figueredo had his natural weight class, just kind of in the in the best moment in his career when Cody's Cody's kind of we looked we were hoping he was going to try and rebuild towards a <clears throat> towards a challenging at the top of the thirty five division, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just kind of just came out of nowhere for me, and I don't really know what to think about it. I just don't think it's a good idea, but. You know, if he goes out there and lands a big punch and he's a champion, then, you know, that's the opportunity and that's obviously backing himself to be able to do that. But yeah. when you're when you're over, when you're when you're a small guy, cutting that extra 10 pounds is even harder than when you're like, for example, a, a 205 guy cutting 10 pounds. It's it's uh, I don't know. We'll see how he looks. It'd be interesting to see how he looks on the scale and in, mm. in, in the lead, the fight week and lead up to the fight. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think an even bigger that's a bigger problem as well. But Garbrandt's problem for a long while is adjusting his game to fight better against people who are hit very hard. Is that a good fight to take when you're like one fight into that progression against someone who's going to be way faster than you? Uh, well, maybe not way faster because Cody's very fast as well, but hits really hard. And I know it's a weight class below, but I like I think Cody need I don't know I think people are rushing back too quickly like even McGregor again talking about taking big fights I think it's too quick to come back I think people need a couple of fights and I'm not saying go in and fight nobodies you know, he hasn't been fighting nobodies but go in and fight someone maybe easier and fight for the 135 pound title maybe maybe then if you want to move down maybe even move down and fight you know fight someone a match nail or someone like that and then fight for the title but uh, I don't know I, I just think it's a little bit foolhardy from that point of view from moving his career on from doing the best thing for his career maybe you know maybe 125 pounds will suit him and he'll like it and, you know maybe he'll win and maybe I'm be totally fucking wrong but I don't know. I, I just, I think these guys need to plan their careers a little better and their managers and everything like that. You know, we saw it with Joanne Calderwood last week. I think it was a bad mistake. And we see, as we just talked about there, Jennifer Mayan now has the title shot, you know. So, like, why didn't she just fucking wait a week and she would have been in the title shot? I, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of mismanagement going on uh, at times here. No, you know, I th- I, I, think jo- I think Danny Rubenstein is Joanne Calderwood's manager. And I think he's I think actually one of the best. So are also f- that might afraid be to say now as well to the, point, to the UFC. So, yeah. If you're if you're seen as a fighter who says no to fights, Dana, get you get on Dana's bad side. It, it can it can destroy your UFC career. Yeah, that is true. That is true. All right, that's it, sure. Um, by hopefully by this time next week, Man United will be uh, European champions. Although is it is probably two weeks time. Is it? I'm not sure. But anyway, I think it is two weeks time. So maybe we'll be in the the semi final or whatever. But um, right. God bless you, Graham. Thank you very much <laughs> for joining me. Oh, Man United fans are so funny. Oh, we're class. Fucking all is at the wheel. Jaden Sancho is on the way. Fucking best team in the world. Phil Jones is going away as well. So. Jesse, Jesse Lingard had his best game in about a decade there last day. So it's all it's all on the upper Man United. It's all in the up for us. But yeah. Right. <laughs> Good luck. Bye, Graham. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Patreon.com forward slash Severe Man Podcast. Send in your uh, e- uh, email to uh, Ian and, and Thomas. Sign up for the fantasy uh, if you're signed up there. And uh, we'll see you all next week. And all that's left to do is give the inspirational quote of the week. When I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. We'll see you next Tuesday. Probably Sunday.